So welcome to another installment of Delta Podcasts. Uh, in recent weeks, we've discussed a few topics related to sport and exercise nutrition, and our last podcast with Mike Grice from Birmingham Movement Therapies clearly discussed his journey from college to running a successful therapy business in West Midlands, so feel free to, to have a look at this after you've listened to this one. Continuing with that theme, uh, for those who've got a slightly fascinating story to tell, I'm privileged to be joined in this session by Floyd Woodrow, former paratrooper, Sergeant Major of the 2-2 Special Air Service, awarded MBE in DCM, author and director of multiple businesses. So Floyd, uh, thanks for joining me and hi. Mark, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So I've given you a, a little introduction, but I, I, I've got this feeling there's probably a lot more that we could fill in. So anytime during this podcast, feel free to to add in everything anything else that you've done that might be quite useful for anyone to to listen. So one of the goals of the podcast is really try and give something to those sort of people who need a nudge to maybe break away from what they're doing, maybe start something new or slightly change tack and direction. So the, you're yourself, you're the author of The Warrior, Strategist and You, a book that I've that I have read a few times. Um, it's your third book, I believe. So second was a leadership book, and then your initial book was a learning to learn book. Am I am I on the right lines there? You are. You're you're spot on. And I've just actually finished a novel, which is uh, about a girl warrior saving the planet. So yes, I've, uh, I've brilliant. Had a number of different areas. Brilliant, and uh, which leads me on to the next thing I'd scripted was where did you get the idea of writing, and and uh, what stopped you writing another XSAS novel, which. Uh, which clearly you've just written a novel, so that's quite quite apt. So where do you get the idea from? What, what, why why not go down the route of maybe a bit more traditional uh, military, what, you, what you've been doing in the military? Uh, because I've always loved performance, and I've been fascinated by what makes people perform at the highest levels. I've been fortunate to work with some outstanding individuals. I've worked with athletes across probably more spectrums and also with businesses. And now I do a lot of work in education. So I've always been fascinated with what makes an individual team or organization perform at the highest levels, what I sometimes call an elite level. I don't mean super special, I just mean pushing the bounds of your performance. And so I think writing things down and trying to articulate what that looked like really helped me. I mean, it really did help me understand performance. Yeah, and, and, and so when was this first the first book, when, when was that done, that Learning to Learn book? Was that whilst you were still in or was that? Yeah, it was whilst I was still in the military. So I was actually running um, United Kingdom Special Forces Selection. So I was running it for the SES and the SBS, trying to find the most um, appropriate candidates to join us. But I was also studying law and psychology uh, at the same time. And what I thought was interesting was all the different times that I was my time management or indeed where I found time to do research or go on different courses just to understand those two extra professions. And people ask me, how do you do that? What, why did you do that? So I wanted to write and get people to understand that anybody can get a degree, anybody can do some extended learning. You just need to uh, put certain things into place. So I wrote that, the first book, which actually went into um, the military library um, to help all ranks, people from all ranks, how to do anything within the army, actually just to give them that support so that's where I, I first did the well that's where I did the very first book yeah and then then you moved on to your leadership book which I guess was was it was I haven't read that one I've confessed that's not on not on my list of books I've read so was that more again for leadership in any environment or was that specifically military or was that no was that after you left? it was the first it was yeah. my first book once I'd then explored um, business or as you know I left the military in 2008 and then went and started yeah. to run a number of companies um, where I learned a lot of different skill sets, obviously. 
Um, I saw some really good things and some difficult things. So I wrote the book then, which was to see show the things that I'd seen from all these different areas. And then The Warrior um, was basically the philosophy that I'd learned recently, how to tie all those things together. So I think leadership and development's a constant learning process where you do need to grow up. Yeah, and, um, so yeah, yeah. And, and that, that, sorry, that first sort of point of your, of your book, when you talk about this super North Star, I think, I think that's a real nice, probably a nice way to start the next bit. Now, we, I mean, when I read it, I, I sort of, I thought this, you had the super North Star, but in my mind, I, I sort of saw multiple stars. And I think that the sort of fluid nature of having a direction to go to was quite a nice way of thinking of it. And you put, I mean, I mean, you said you started off, or not started off, but you mentioned you were in a boy band, which I found fascinating. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how much we can discuss that, but uh, or you want to remind yourself of, of maybe what you were doing beforehand, but this idea of writing stuff down, where you want to go, tying it to emotions, is that where did that come from? Because I don't, I'm not sure I saw that in the military, from my point of view. So was that something that came afterwards that you saw when you were trying to find where you wanted to go post service or? No, I think if I'm being honest with you, I think those things have always been there for me. So I was always really clear when I was really young, I wanted to be an athlete that changed into be a PE teacher and I wanted to join the military. So I've always been drawn by that kind of very visual effect of that's what I want to do. And then when I was in the military, it was about being the best soldier I could be. But what I found was, yeah. which I think is fascinating, and where I, why I talk about the Super North Star, is the research behind having high aspiration, um, being able to self-determine where you want to go, and uh, to bas- basically have that purpose in life. It's phenomenal. I mean, literally, it's backed up by lots of science about how it can yeah. enhance anybody's performance from any background. And so I think yeah. that once I could, well, again, once I started to do my research on philosophy uh, and um, psychology, it, it just reinforced the things that I've seen really good people do and where I've been at my best, which is where I've been moved forward. doesn't mean that's my final destination. As I said, I've got lots of super yeah. stars, but at least it takes me forward to have adventures, to have experiences. And I think that's really important in life. Yeah, so when you, I mean, you started off in one para, is that that's correct, isn't it? And then that is correct. You did select four years. Yeah, so winter or summer selection? Um, I actually went through on the winter, so February I joined in February and went through from there, and then my, my okay. selection so, process was was in August, which was in the in the in the summer. Yeah. Okay. So so pretty tough environment that everyone has probably been watching many TV programs about in the recent sort of years. When you got to the regiment and you, you're assigned to a squadron, so for those that don't know. Uh, four Sabre Squadrons, you were assigned to one of them. What what, what were your ambitions when you got there? Because you were still, you were quite young, weren't you, when you got to the regiment? Yeah, I was only 22. And so, yeah, yeah, very young. I think it was just to be the best soldier you could be. And I think it was as simple as that. You're surrounded by talented people. So in a lot of respect, yeah. you're actually just learning the skill sets. I, I was very fortunate. The parachute regiment give you some enormous skill sets. So you don't arrive as a complete novice, you actually arrive at a reasonably good standard because the work that we've done beforehand, the skills that we've already got as soldiers, allows us to, to step into that that frame, that forum at a reasonably good level. But you're still a novice. Um, so it was about learning lots of new skills. Um, yeah, trying to find your way in that environment and, uh, yeah, slowly and enjoy it. So, so once you've been there a while and you, and, you, and you sort of embedded yourself in, was it was it clear you wanted to be the troop staff sergeant, then the sergeant major, and then move on to to, to other things? Was that again were, were they your 
sort of moving north stars? Is that where you sort of saw yourself reasonably early to say, actually, I'd like to be in that sergeant major role? That, that's where I'd like to be. Or was it, did it take a lot of time to get to get that I think I don't think it was that far ahead. I think there were certain jobs that I wanted to do. Um, so there were certain things that you definitely looked at and thought, I'd like to do that. I'd like to go to Northern Ireland. I'd like to be in that particular group. So there were certain aspirations to get into certain roles. But of course, as you as you get rank, and I think, to be honest, it wasn't until you, you have a rank, you become a Lance Corporal, a Corporal. At that moment in time, it's just about doing good jobs and learning the skill. Yeah. I think once you get to Sergeant, probably past Sergeant, I don't think I really even thought about anything until I was past Sergeant. You're then thinking, well, actually now, now I do want to stay within a squadron. I think it was more about staying within the squadron because if you don't, stay in the squadron you'll then go out to an, an external department where you're not as operational yeah. so for me it was about yeah. constantly wanting to be at the operational level so therefore i wanted to be a troop staff sergeant because it kept you in the troop and then you're also getting to yeah. the stage where you want to be the decision maker you know at certain stages i think in life we're tired of always being the one that has to listen to somebody sometimes i think it's nice to think well could i do any different would i be any better in that particular role. So I think that's what I wanted was more the, the fact that I could take more responsibility. And of course, as you quite rightly pointed out, I think that's when you may start to think about the sergeant major role. Um, and thereafter, be simply because you want to be operational. Um, so that's probably yeah, how it works for me. Yeah, but the, I mean, the troop staff sergeant role is a very important role, isn't it? It's a, it's a key, is it a key linchpin between you know the the sort of lower ranks of the of the, of the troop to the to the sergeant major is that is that sort of right? So it's a, almost like a middle management role. Would that be a would that be a right way of looking really, at it? Or, yeah, it's or, a really important role. I mean, you literally are moving yeah. into the to the senior echelons. You're responsible for a sixteen man group, um, but the responsibility yeah. is significant. In fact, actually, the responsibility at every level in the regiment is significant. But certainly, as a troop staff sergeant, you're very influential. You are a, an app absolute linchpin within the whole organization it's a great job to yeah. do um it's probably the time when you you have a lot of responsibility but a lot of freedoms as well um yeah. and, and yes it's it's a it's a phenomenal phenomenal job to do but you are a linchpin without a doubt yeah and then and it sort of moved on to the sort of ethos which i really want to to, to sort of dig into a little bit further the ethos of the of the parachute regiment which you obviously had for a while the ethos of being in the special air service, which you then had for a long period of time, and you talk about developing that ethos, and, you, and, and in your book you mention it as a starting point, not not a sort of destination. So how do you how do you get to that place that you want to be? And one of the things you you talk about in PCOM is the idea of not jacking, which are, you know, which is a common phrase for those that have been in the military where you just don't jack. So, and, and then you've worked with, as you say, athletes, and you've worked in businesses. Does are they, is that the same mentality? This idea of you just don't give up because I. Sometimes I, th- I think it might be a bit of a hindrance. and I'm not sure if I'm right here. So I, I was interviewed by a student uh, a few weeks ago for, for a sort of series we put together on students interview staff. And one of the things I said is, what do you think is your strength? And I said, well, I, I just don't really want to give up. I just want to keep going. And then, and then maybe on reflection, I thought that's not necessarily always a good thing. So the ethos of the regiment, where does that come from? When you arrive there, what, you obviously know about it beforehand. And you do selection and, and obviously you're on there and you've probably known people who've done selection before you've went on it. But where does that ethos come from? Well, I mean, you are. It's a, there's a couple of areas here that you're talking about, Mark. And one is ethos, which is values, team code of conduct, 
legacy in a lot of respects. Yeah. And the regiment has a phenomenal legacy. And, and of course, when you arrive, the, the, the ethos, as you are aware, is the, unrel- the unrelenting pursuit of excellence, high standards of discipline, yeah. classlessness and humour and humility. And you know that has been there since the very early stages of the, the Special Air Service, right the way through. And so the legacy is you don't want to let the last generation down. You want to, as the All Blacks yeah. say, leave the jersey in a better place than when you arrived. Yeah. And of course, that performance yeah. level means that everybody's an A. So you are surrounded by people who are all A's. And that's from multicultural, different backgrounds, different intellects, but they are not going to give up. They work hard. Now, it doesn't mean they're all brilliant. It just means that they've got a, a work ethic and an ethos. It means they're not going to just give in. And I think it's important. So I, I actually don't quite agree with you. I think the ability not to give up is fundamental. That does not mean to say that you don't adjust your tactics when something's going completely wrong, but just stopping for me is what that means. And as I also say, sometimes I didn't jack when I left the special air service. I just knew I had a new journey. So I don't, I I think there's different ways of looking at that word, but the principle behind it is that I don't want you to give up because that is going to be a massive indicator in success. And it's the values that we have, courage, resilience, determination. And so values are fundamental. And again, the research behind having character strengths and capabilities is significant in performance. So I think it's important that you know what those things are. Conversely, the, 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 the mantra, do not jack, it comes because that's a resilience, a psychological resource that you might require when you are physically tired. So strangely enough, today I trained with my son. Uh, on the rower and um, he is in the parachute regiment he's um, exceptionally fit and of course we're on the rower he's rowing at a a pretty fast rate I'm hanging in to try and stay on his coattails but when I get really tired and when I'm thinking actually I am really tired and he is um, significant he's got better recovery than I have um, (laughs) I'm just thinking yeah just stay with it though stay with it stay in the program stay stay close because those are the resources that I can now call upon because that mantra is there. And all it just means is I didn't give up. I, I stayed and hit the best time I could possibly hit, and it managed to stay cl- quite close to him. So for me, that's a plus. It doesn't mean to say that I intend to beat him or go back to what I used to do when I was his age. That's not what that's about. It's doing the best that you can do at this moment. And that is about psychological resources, which means that you can be more consistently good. Yeah, and how much that's learned. I mean, I mean, I get. I guess when you look at the the people that do selection alongside yourself, they are they, are they quite similar? You think they've got the similar outlook, or or does that get developed over time? So when you get get to the regiment and you see those people that you say are all A's, does that just spur you on even further? Is that is that something then you you further aspire to, and it helps it helps develop that skill you've already, that innateness that you've already got, or can it be? Yeah, learned? I'm a massive believer that a lot of these things are developed and enhanced because of the environment that you're in. Of course, there's always going to be a percentage of the population that are gifted with determination and some uh, innate intelligence and skills that allow them to do this slightly easier than other people. But that slightly easier doesn't mean you'll perform at your best. And again, um, you and I both know I've seen people um, do exceptionally well and then sometimes fail at different times and sometimes lose that edge. Um, But I've also seen people who probably did struggle right the way through their life and even on selection. But what they did have was that ability not to give up and they grow into the role because they become more confident in themselves. So I, I would have to say my my strategies, my confidence has grown over time. I don't think I had it 
all the way through. I think I've become a lot more competent as I've become more skilled in understanding these these skill sets. Yeah, and I, and I guess there's a reason why the regiment's full of ex parachute regiment staff, uh, you know, soldiers, isn't it? It's, it's I think from what I've, I've sort of gleaned from that is the amount of parachute regiment people that are in the special air service. You said it wasn't a it wasn't necessarily a, as big as jump as, as maybe other regiments. Would that be correct? That I think that's is, fair. Is that what you? No, no, it's fair because all you're after when you go through selection is a basic soldier. You don't want them to be. You know, they're not expected to be superstars. Just do things, yeah. basic things exceptionally well. So the parachute regiment give you that, as did the Marines and a lot of infantry units. To be fair. Um, that's all you're asking is a, is a good basic infantry soldier. So we do that quite well. And, and again, although the paras probably does give you a slight advantage because of some of the training and the people and the, the nature of the regiment, um, I think in this day and age with all the wars that we've been involved in and all the different conflicts, a larger proportion of the military have experienced these things. So again, bring with them a greater resilience. Yeah, yeah. So, so your biggest sort of portion of work now is is working with is is what? Where where, where does most of your time get well, spent? These I, you know, I still run a number of companies myself um, in foreign exchange and cybersecurity and uh, and the media, um, which takes up a proportion of my time. Um, but my love is always coaching and development. So I do a lot of work in education at the moment. So I work with five year old children um, right the way through to the toughest soldiers in the world and every sector in between. Um, but I do a lot of work in education, and that's been a great love of mine, working with primary and secondary school children and, again, giving them the philosophies that I've seen the most talented people in the world use. Uh, I've set up a foundation to help the most disadvantaged children in the country called the Compass for Life Foundation, and we have lots of programs that we're now running um, in a number of places within the United Kingdom. Yeah, brilliant. So so what does that involve? So you're taking your book and you're, you're breaking that down into chunks to help to help these young kids try and have a purpose and, and a direction yeah, and a, a map, a strategy to have wisdom, common sense, to have the right values and to have the right resilience. And we train teachers up first of all. So they go through the program. They then deliver to children. We then deliver it to parents. And then we try and get the local businesses to come in as well, who have also been through the program and um, to give back to society. So it really, really forms part of the curriculum and it supports the curriculum. But what it does, it gives a much more rounded, holistic view of what the child needs to do to be successful and to make sure they go on a great adventure. Um, again, it gives them the tools to be adaptable and flexible, which is some of the key skills they'll need on this journey. Yeah. So so how long has that been going for? Um, I've actually been running it um, in different guises, I suppose, as I developed the program for about four, nearly five years. Um, but we've now... Um, really enhanced every aspect because we've worked in hundreds of schools now with thousands of children and teachers. And so the program now is is really, really well developed. And I've also just taken that into the military as well. So I've just been working with um, um, a group of soldiers who they pass out this Friday. So I'm quite excited about that. And um, we follow them on a 14-week program, giving them Compass for Life skills, follow that up with a research project, and they've outshone the control group in every indice. So that's really, really good news. Um, from what yeah, I think I saw that on on LinkedIn before, didn't I? Was that was that right? Did I catch that? Yes, you did. Yeah, I think it was the word re- the yeah, word yeah. research just jumped yeah, out for me, and I, I started to have a bit read of it. So, so can we can we mention who, which regiment, or which which area they're in, or we? Yeah, they're at Perbright. So yeah, they're at Perbright. Okay. So we went through with the recruits, 
Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them, as I said. And um, they've been really, really good and um, a great flag waivers for what we've been doing, as have the instructors. So the instructors went through a pretty intense program with us to become Compass for Life navigators. Uh, and they've used it throughout every aspect of training. So it's been really, really exciting to see the impact and the effect that we've had. Brilliant. So, so how? So, talk me on a research perspective then. So, we had what we split them in half and we randomised them into so those that did have your program and those that didn't. Or what was the? Yeah, pretty how, much. How did exactly what thing we did. We had a whole company go through it, and then another company that started yeah. a week later did not go through the same, uh, the same course. Both were evaluated by a company called Foster and Brown. Um, and then we looked at things from uh, mental health to decision making to confidence to sleep patterns, nutrition, um, ability to make decisions, uh, and a whole raft of uh, really key indicators. Uh, and then we've um, followed and tracked them right the way through the training and right the way through the uh, the lockdown as well. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so they're going to go off to their regiment soon, I assume. That's where they'll they'll go. Is that going to be carried on? Is that going to be something hopefully that will take into army wide or is that yeah is no, be just the decisions will be made this week next week about um how far we we take the project um Brilliant. we think with everything that we've done it should should go further um and that's been you know the feedback that we've got from everybody so we're just now down to the discussions of what that will look like moving forward um so it's really exciting and other aspects of the arms yeah as well yeah, yeah, great. So if, I don't know if, we, if we've sort of had a bit of on the North Star, we've had a bit of an ethos, and then maybe a bit more about the strategy then I think people would be quite like to hear from either a military or civilian standpoint. So organising yourself with a with a strategy to get to where you want to go. So how's that done from a from your sort of book? Where does that well, or how does that really help those people? What do we need for a strategy? And that's about when we start to have, again, really good leadership that looks at things from yeah. facts, figures, detail, analysis, but with no emotion. How do I get there? How do I break the journey down into milestones? How do I make sure I've got the right team around me? How do I make sure I'm creative or that I'm positive about what we're doing? How do I analyze dangers and risks and contingencies? How do I make sure we're aligned behind the team results and the values that we require as well within that? But the strategy is just about looking at things where we can just see facts, figures, detail, the positive, the creative, dangers and risks, and then what's the decision going to be? And there are lots of different models we can use to do that. But it's also about communicating it, making sure that we connect to the team so that they can deliver it. It's articulated well. Those things are really, really important. Yeah. So for those that, I mean, in, in my field now, I'm now you're sort of lecturing and we've got students who are you know, unfortunately probably not about to graduate because they're going to have to come back at the end of the summer or early September to finish off their degree. So in terms of a clear strategy, what would be your sort of top tips as someone who's just about to finish They've got some idea they want to go into the world of sport and exercise science, sport and exercise therapy, sport and exercise medicine. What what, what advice might we give them? The top sort, and I know it's quite difficult to give top tips, but certainly things that they need to do initially, just before they decide just to go put their head down and go for it. What sort of things do you think from a strategic point of view they need to look look at doing? Well, the the first thing is the super north star's got to be critical. And um, so for me, I would be I would be saying to them. Right, be really clear on what does this look like? What what level are you looking to go in at? Which sport are you looking to go into? Which are you attracted to, to, to? Are you looking to do a PhD? So be really clear on what am I trying to do longer term because this is the start point. So I think understanding what that looks like. And then the first one for me is then as, is, as I go through is the same, right, which are the teams and the groups I want to be aligned to? What is the culture? 
within each of those groups because obviously it's no good just going into a group because you think it's going to be good if it's got a horrendous culture. What are they looking to do? Are they looking to move forward? What is the philosophy behind the, the, the coach? So I would be doing all that type of analysis. I would be then thinking I've got some baseline skills here. What am I looking to do to get and improve and do better? Um, what do I need to do in terms of mentors? Who are the key influences within this sector? What research do I need to do moving forward? And that would be some analysis that I would do. And then it would be about making sure I use my networks to find out and get interviews into the right place. I would make sure that when I arrived, I was clear on what I intend to do in terms of this environment to help support whatever sport there is. So what am I actually going to do to help the coach make the right decisions? How am I going to make sure that I tie in, connect with the physio, with the psychologist, with the coach to make sure that if I change around somebody's body, that's not going to have an impact on this athlete or this particular person uh, going forward because it's not the right thing. How do I make sure I understand these other rules? And then I will be tying down, do I want to stay in this position for three years, five years? Am I looking to do a six-month session, then move somewhere else? That's how I'd be starting to map it out so that eventually I'm looking at perhaps being a professor at a university um, where I'm teaching this. So it's just looking at those types of things, factual analysis, no emotion. Yeah. And you spoke, I mean, there's three, three things I sort of picked up there. One was this sort of idea of mentorship. One was your networking. One was your intent. And one was that it's a, that sort of commander's intent, isn't it? You intend to do something. And if you tie those words to do it from a personal level that you actually will go and do it, you're probably more likely to do it. In terms of mentorship then. So I know in your book, you talk about various people and you give thanks that you've been in a book with, with a few initials in there that I spent a bit of time trying to work out who they are. Um, but, but where does that mentorship come from and how did you get them at the regiment? I mean, how, was it, again, just this natural, your troop corporal would be mentoring you as a trooper, then your troop sergeant would mentor. How did you form those mentors or, or, or links with those mentors? I think what happened, I was very fortunate. I had a brilliant mentor right at the beginning of my career, a guy called uh, Al Slater, who without doubt was one of the best soldiers of his generation. So for me, fundamentally, I started off on the right, the right sort of um, – track um he was outstanding he just cared and because um he could see i was keen and i was uh, wanting to learn he gave me tons and tons of advice just naturally and i think the best mentors you come across there's you just find them if you don't sometimes you don't realize they're brilliant mentors to be honest i think it's not quite as um understood today about mentors and coaches and, and getting this advice and so i think it was probably done more of a raw way than than i would tell people to do it today or to look for it today we're more probably inclined to ask for support whereas you'd never have done that in the military but i think what i came across was people who i aspired to be like and i could see and watch what they were doing and then what i realized through my career is every now and again somebody stepped in and gave me the right advice at the right moment in time which was very powerful and necessary otherwise i would have been down a number of different, different tracks as well um, but I think as you grow up and you become um, you know, more astute, you can ask for advice. You can literally go and, 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 and move around and, and find advice. And I used to go and do that, and I, I've done it for a long, long time. When I didn't know something, I would just go and seek somebody out at whatever level and say, just take me through what you would do here. And I think that's important that you realize that you know, there's always room to grow um, and then seek out the best mentors. And my network is phenomenal. I can honestly say I, I bring up so many different people and go, I don't understand this problem. 
give me the best information I need in 20 minutes. And I get probably 10 years of experience in 20 minutes because they're not telling me all the things that I don't need to know, all the mistakes that they made. They're just telling me the three things, which is generally all you need, that will help you be successful in this situation. And I think that's where you yeah. can uh, profoundly accelerate your performance. Yeah, and I, and I guess thing like, things like LinkedIn and going, certainly for our students maybe and, and the people I sort of work with, we will be going out and doing those unpaid voluntary type jobs that we should would just help build those links and even just following people on on Twitter and on LinkedIn just to see what they do, drop them an email, drop them a line, ask for help. Uh, those those things these days, you say, seem to be more acceptable. So it, it's, it seems to be easier to reach out to people now than what it would be. Certainly in the military, you probably wouldn't put your hand up and say you've got a problem. But certainly from a civilian world, it seems to be more accepted that LinkedIn, for example, would be somewhere where you could just drop a drop a link to and ask someone to to talk through something would that be would that be again some of those things that that maybe students or people don't do enough of without a doubt i don't think you learn this skill for sadly until late i think the more that we can enhance your network is utterly vital Uh, and sometimes i think people fall into trouble you know it's about politics or there's some kind of strange machiavellian way of doing this it's just ridiculous just get as many people to help you as you can and and then all of a sudden when you've got a problem you just open a door and somebody's got an answer or or it gives you an opportunity. Um, why would you know everything? It, you, it's impossible. Um, so I know the network is vital. And again, you're right, LinkedIn's a great, I, I get often asked for advice, and I can honestly say, it is so rare I don't I don't answer something. I just can't even think of a time when I've not gone back and helped somebody or passed somebody on to somebody else or given them a link. It just, why would you not do that? Um, these things always come back around. Yeah, of course. We, we were talking certainly in our field the other day about this sort of concept of multidisciplinary teams, which is a big thing in in sort of healthcare. That I think traditionally people were very incl- you know, very closed about what they did; they wouldn't really share it. Now, now it's a lot more open. There's a lot more therapies around: you know, physiotherapy, sports therapy, osteopathy, and and the people are having much more of a, a sort of glass door approach than a than a sort of brick wall. So you're able to see what those other people do. You're able to to get an idea. You're able to see where you might fit in what you can add and I think that's quite a good skill for our you know, people going forward who are changing their careers to to have a view of get an idea of what other people can do and then maybe go and add on to what they do with your skill set and I, I think that's quite quite important certainly contacting you after uh, 20 years or whatever it must have been since I probably spoke to you was has just proved that point I think that you can contact people on via whichever channel and, and, and things come out so I guess the final B was would be the sort of double you on this compass, your your sort of warrior spirit. So again, if you just be, be great to sort of talk through where that came from and how you how you came up with that sort of idea of the of the warrior spirit. Well, it was interesting. The compass actually came about from I was um, drawing on a board one day when I was I knew there was I'd done so much leadership work and so much study, but I just I knew there was something missing from the talks that I was giving. I was giving lots of talks in loads of areas, but I wasn't a hundred percent happy with it. And I always had the new Super North Star that's been part of my vocabulary for a long, long time. And I always had strategy warrior as being important. And then eventually ethos came in and I realized it was a compass. But for me, the warrior is really important because without the warrior, nothing happens. You can have a great Super North Star, great strategy, great ethos. But if you don't step into the pressure zone, nothing will happen. And this is about thriving in pressure. When I talk about the warrior, the warrior is about your strength of character to step in and go, I am going to commit. Don't have to be perfect, but I'm going to learn and start the journey. And that is about physical and mental resilience. It's about energy, looking after yourself, 
recharging. So again, our strength and conditioning is about, I need physical fitness. I need to have nutrition. My body needs to be hydrated. I need sleep. I need rest. I need people around me to help me. I need all of those things if I'm going to be the best version of myself, especially in crisis. And we can see already that people that are fit and healthy are less likely to be affected by um, some of the difficulties we're going through at the moment. But I also need to know my mind is my control center. So I need to understand how it works and having psychological resources. So I use a number and I, I visualize really well. I have a great mantra. Um, I have power words. I have positive thoughts, positive anchors. I understand about breathing and calming my breathing down. I know about good decision making. Uh, I know about making sure that I put myself in difficult circumstances to try and to test these things. And so I think all of these elements allow me to get into flow. And we know that when we're in flow, we don't have to think anymore. We're just part of the situation. But to do that, sometimes when it's a bad day and I'm not feeling brilliant, I need to know what's my start point. How do I get there? And of course, I always come back to the compass. What am I trying to do? What's my plan, my values? And then I step into the pressure zone and commit. And I think once you've got yeah. that place, you're just difficult to be on your worst day. Yeah, yeah. And again, is that is that developed? Did you, did you find you've always had that? I mean, it's something that you know, comes out in your book. There's there's some kind of warrior spirit, I guess, that that comes through in all of those points from an early age and onwards. Or or again, are these are these tangible skills that people can get hold of and say, no, I, I can develop my my ability to step in and do something that's actually quite difficult, take myself out of the comfort zone. And it does, I guess it doesn't matter what field it is. So from my current area being as, as, a, as a sort of lecturer, students need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's a, a little bit of a cliche, but that's, is it something you can learn by being uncomfortable more often? Without any shadow of a doubt, it's the only way you learn it. It's a great phrase, um, Japanese called kinsukoroi, which is where they mend things with gold. And they talk about a broken bowl being mended by gold so that it's more expensive, more valuable, um, more beautiful. Uh, and the key thing is because that's what we need, isn't it? The more adversity you go through, all of a sudden then that particular problem that you're experiencing today will be nothing because I've already been through these tests. I've already pushed myself. I know how to think yeah. effectively. So therefore, again, you're thriving then in, under pressure. You're looking for it because what a great opportunity to see how good you can be. And what you also learn is that you don't have to worry about failure Biggest fear most people have is failure. And um, once you realize it and think, actually, yeah, I do get a bit scared. I am a human being. I do make mistakes. All of a sudden, you've just removed a yoke from your neck because there is no such thing as a perfect human being. They don't exist. Yeah. But once you learn that, Mark, as we know, you know, we all come as sometimes thinking we're invulnerable. We must show everybody that we're super strong. And I wish I'd learned this um, while I was in my early stages of the military. I learned it far too late, really. Uh, but the minute I did, it was like a breath of fresh air. I stopped, again, trying to be perfect for everybody else rather than just thinking, just learn, Floyd. Just just realize you do get scared. You are a human being. You do make mistakes. And then the world changes. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and again, is it has it been advantageous, though, that you've been in those situations? It's, it's, I think it's quite hard for maybe a lot of people to, to put into context the situations you've been in when we talk about being in dangerous situations and actually being scared. These are real scary moments. Then they're not just I'm late for an assignment or I've probably got a bit more work to do. These are legitimately dangerous, scary environments. So from people for people that that haven't witnessed that, what what would be the sort of guidelines on when we say put yourself in an uncomfortable position? Is it what sort of things do we would you be recommending to those that are in 
you know, well, non-military backgrounds. Well, for people. You're right. Obviously, sometimes when you're in life and death situations, people can say, Floyd, yeah, but it was life and death. And what I would say to you is I never thought I was ever going to be killed or I was going to be injured. Yeah. But that's not there in my thought process. I thought, crikey, that was close. But I think so you've got to really remember the mind itself, when it's under real pressure, so actually stepping out when you're putting um, an athlete onto the field who's about to become a gold medalist or a finalist or indeed just trying to do a personal best, there, there is sometimes our minds think in the same way. That can be just as scary as being on a battlefield because it's a life-changing moment in time. If you don't do well, your four years of training or eight years or 12 years of prep could be gone in, yeah. in a minute. And that's so that's pretty scary because that's a life-changing moment. When I was in business, I've been in situations where I could have lost a company uh, because of something that happened uh, and a very aggressive takeover, which is which is which is life-changing for lots of people, including myself. So the stresses and strains we go on under the mind itself, when it's been tested through positive psychology, the same areas are lit up. The same thoughts go through your mind. So strangely, the worry that goes on, the anxiety, the stress, is is um, comparable to those moments. So even though, yes, it's life and death, and yes, that could happen, the way the brain reacts can be similar to a really stressful situation about actually going into an exam where I, I'm trying to get a, a significant exam, I fail this, it could be a life-changing moment. So we just have to be aware that that's what the mind does. But of course, the key thing about it is I'm in charge of my mind. Those are just emotions and feelings that I'm creating which is having an effect on my physiology. So what I want to do is, again, come back and just have those those skill sets that I've developed and understood. And by doing it, it could be that actually, yeah, I'm going to put my hand up more often in class. I'm actually going to be the one that goes and does the research projects. I'm going to um, contact mentors. Those are the things that you can just do to realize all of a sudden that wasn't so difficult. I did that exam or I went and did something difficult, something very profound for me. And that just means that each increment just means you are more competent, more skillful, more resilient, so that when it does slightly become out of your comfort zone, you can go just actually, yeah, I am scared, but I'm going to make sure I smash this out of the park. And that kind of self-talk and yeah. ability is done on, can be done on a, on a fairly daily basis in some respects. Yeah. yeah. And, and acknowledge that those are normal feelings, I think, that that, that people are scared to be scared as opposed to... It, it's a, it's okay to feel like that. It's okay to feel nervous for an exam. It's okay to think that you've got a lot of work to do, but you've just got to get over, find a way of doing it and, and use your strategy to to get that work done. You've got multiple assignments coming in at once or you're trying to launch your business. I mean, talking to Mike the other day and we talked through sort of the jobs that he'd done all the way from silver service, knowing that he wanted to own his clinic, but he went through a whole a sort of 10 years of being, you know, doing silver service work just so we could earn some money. He then went and did some courses and, and an osteopath was teaching and he thought it was the, the best thing ever, became an osteopath, went to the clinical anatomy, again, at way in, well outside of his comfort zone, but just went ahead and did that, that idea that it doesn't actually matter. You, you can no, just no, have no, a go. It's a journey, isn't it? Of course, it's a journey of adventure and, and experience. And actually, that's what you get judged on, isn't it? At the end of the day, what will you judge your own life on? It's the fact that I went on a lot of adventures and experiences and some things were really good. Some things actually, yeah, I learned tons from that. That was a pretty good journey, but you won't learn anything from not doing stuff. Um, and again, we get scared as human beings. I can literally tell you I've been scared on numerous occasions. There's lots of things I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what I will definitely tell you is that I, if I want to do something, I may not be perfect on day one, but I will certainly get fairly good on day 101. Um, so I just practice and just yeah. learn 
and enjoy things. And as I said, it's a, it's about a journey, I think. And that's when we, when we, we can buy into that, that it's about just trying to be the best version of yourself, helping a team, taking people with you, giving back to society. You've probably had a pretty good journey through life. Yeah, and I think that's perfect then maybe to finish on that you've, you've obviously given your time back to me and, and hopefully any listener that's um, going to download these podcasts. So I think for me, that's that's been great, Floyd, and thank you very much for, for joining me on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, catching up after quite a long time and, and finding out what you've been up to and how that gets implemented to, to lots of people with the foundation and so on. So I, I just wish the best of luck with obviously everything you do and I hope it, um, it catches on and it gets into the military, which would be great to hear. Mark, thanks very much. Make sure you stay in touch now as well. Let's not leave it so long until the next time. I will do. Thanks very much. Cheers, Floyd. Take care. Bye-bye.